Hi everyone, we are going to be doing something a little different today. If you notice, the title of this episode is Bonus Open Science with Dustin Harridan. So this is a continuation of a conversation I had with Dustin when we recorded his episode on chronotype and depression, which was released in early March. And so to pull back the curtain a little bit, Whenever I have a guest on, I give them the option of talking about something that's important to them, that they're passionate about, that isn't necessarily their research that's something kind of related, but, you know, something something still in that kind of space, but maybe they don't usually get an opportunity to talk about if they're talking about their research. And so Dustin took me up on that, and we had a long conversation about open science. So I thought it would be a fun standalone episode. Uh, in other episodes, I've just been able to kind of integrate it into the rest of our conversation where it's just been, you know, a couple minutes about it. But Dustin and I had a long enough conversation that I said, you know what? We don't need to make his episode, Chronotype and Depression, an extra large jumbo episode. We can, uh, we can have a standalone episode on that. So that's what I decided to do. And that's what you'll be hearing today. So if you haven't heard Dustin's episode, Chronotype and Depression, he is a clinical psychology PhD student at the University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign. And uh, yeah, just all around cool guy. I was able to go on his podcast. He and his colleague, Kate, host a podcast called You Can Grad School, where they talk about different issues in grad school, just kind of different tips and tricks to help people navigate the grad school experience that you just might not necessarily get information on or know about as a new grad student. I wish their podcast was around when I was starting grad school. I think it would have been really helpful. But I was on their podcast, again, that's called You Can Grad School, where I talked about science communication. We went on some other weird tangents. We talked about my crop research a little bit. We talked about... uh. <laughs> We talked about selling your research as a multi-level marketing scheme. <laughs> we talked about all sorts of things. So you should go check that out. I will link the episode in the show notes if you are interested in listening. Uh, and I encourage you to do that because I know that you all just love to hear me talk. This episode won't have the usual lead-in that they usually do since this was just recorded on the back end of another episode. So this is Hooked on Science, a podcast where we learn about cool research that you should know about. And I'm your host, Julia Cubans, and I hope you'll enjoy this bonus episode with Dustin Harridan on Open Science. Before we recorded, we had chatted a little bit about if there were any topics that you wanted to hit on that were important and interesting to you, and you were mentioning open science and reproducibility, so I think after we're talking about research and data, it's a good place to, to segue into that. So this isn't a topic that I, I know what it is, but I don't know a mm -hmm. lot about the kind of like the meat of it. So can you start by just telling us what the term open science means? Yeah, it is the focus on transparency in all aspects of research, going from data collection to writing the manuscript, just being open and transparent about the decisions and the process. What is often the case or can be the case 
is there are decisions that are made that can alter the way that the results are being interpreted. Uh, and that that component is something that it, it's like very central to open science from start to finish, from when you collect the first participant to when you publish on that data, making sure that anybody who wants to go back through can take all the same steps that you did. Okay, so that gets at this term of reproducibility, which yeah. I'm sure that it's even harder in the... Um... The social sciences, because people are dynamic and aren't always good at describing what they're experiencing. Who told you? Who told you that? That's our secret. <laughs> I don't know. It's a secret. But even in plants, like what I work in, they're stationary. They don't go anywhere, but they experience lots of environmental things mm -hmm. that as humans, we can't control when it's going to rain or if there's an early frost or, you know, any number of... Um, Oh, man. Factors, components. <laughs> yes. Any number of factors that can uh, affect their growth and development. And so what are some of the challenges with this open science and reproducibility with kind of that inherent difficulty of reproducing science in mind? I think there's there are lots of different components, and I think there are, are different members of the community that focus on, like, making your data sets open, making sure that your code is there so you can run the analyses. I think some of the larger components and pieces that my dog wants me to focus <laughs> on as he barks in the background, some of the larger pieces are the statistical knowledge of the individuals and how those data are being reported and interpreted. Um, there are lots of decision points that can be made when you are looking at data. Um, and there is this idea of the, the garden of forking paths where you can make a decision of, oh, I'm only going to look at people who are over the age of 18, or I'm only going to do this. And you like start making all of those decisions, you get a significant result which statistical significance is a whole other topic that I could go <laughs> off on. Uh, and then what's to say that those decisions that you made are actually reflective of the data that you collected. And oftentimes those decision points that you make along the way are not clear in a manuscript. And in a manuscript, it's written up like, we did this, this happened, and like, that's it, that's the answer. When it's a lot more messy than that. And I think it's it's like this vulnerability that a lot of people have some pushback on. Um, and you need to be really transparent about, yeah, this result wasn't significant, so I had to look at it a different way. Um, and like it's okay to do some of that digging or what people call is like p-hacking. Um, it's appropriate if you label it as such because like it, if you got a non-significant result, or if you got that significant result on the first round, would you have then dichotomized or done those other things? And like, you probably wouldn't have. Yeah, for sure. And I think that also gets to in the academics and research setting, mm -hmm. it is often seen as a failure if your results aren't significant. Yes. And I mean, in agriculture, it can actually be a good thing. Yeah. Secret. <laughs> uh, because, you know, when we're talking about I mean, farming is not that lucrative of a field. And like the work I do is to 
directly inform farmers on how their practices can be optimized essentially and so yeah if you know a fertilizer rate is not significant we can say oh well you can apply the lowest rate of fertilizer saving money you know there's environmental repercussions of fertilization and still get the same yield from your crop that's that's huge a good thing and yeah. i think in it's kind of easy to think about it in that way in my field because it's a lot of it not all of it is so application oriented but in a lot of fields i feel like that are either more theoretical or you know less directly connected to the mm -hmm. end stakeholder it's like well if it wasn't significant this study was a waste of time but that's not always the case yeah or it's it wasn't significant but maybe if it maybe it will work for girls only and not boys or boys only mm -hmm. or folks who are pre or post puberty or those who have higher low socioeconomic status like these are easy questions to have but then it's like where who does that apply for then and where are you stopping mm -hmm. those questions and i think that like transparency bit is super important and um I don't know if you have you heard of the the BEM article, which like started this process off in psychology. No, I don't think so. There's an article by Daryl BEM uh, from Cornell who basically proved that ESP extrasensory perception is real. It was statistically significant. Like the thing for ghosts. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes, exactly. I do listen to a lot of paranormal podcasts, so <laughs> that's really interesting. Okay. Yes. Continue. So it's this like you have some extrasensory perception of how the world works and you're able to predict things above chance. And like that whole like I can sense these things. He proved that was true. It was published in, a, in an article. And then after a little bit, people were like... <laughs> wait a second <laughs> and then it shows that like our peer review process or like there's a lot of components that you can you can play the mm -hmm. game you can trick the system and get published and it's like but is this real and that's that's like it's scary to think that and like Ben was one of the big ones and then there was um Diedrich Stoppel which I just like saying his name yeah <laughs> uh, he he basically fabricated all of his data and oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. This was like straight out fraud and like that people are like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. But it's like all these other little pieces that, that come into play. But he like fabricated his data, his graduate students published on the data. And then when they were like, it's not coming up the way that you said it was going to, he'd take the data, play with it, give it back to them. People got their PhDs on this fake data. Um, and then it like all came out and it's, it's just like crazy to think about all of those pieces. But if you're producing research that nobody else can reproduce or that it can't be replicated like grad students are going to go and try to make their career off of certain findings yeah and like if you're not being open about these decisions you might not be impacting yourself you may be promoting yourself because you get a publication out of it but it's not furthering science and i think that that's what is like the the piece of open science that is really important is like promoting the research and making it what I think research is and what science should be. So has there been push from, I feel like in the academic and research world, our careers hinge on publications and manuscripts. And it seems like this push and this 
any kind of change, productive change would have to start from the journal side of things. Mm -hmm. So have there been journals that are saying, hey, we need to know, you know, more detailed materials and methods. We need to see your data, you know, the, the raw data before you're doing any manipulation to it. Is that becoming more prevalent now? So there is a, his name's Chris Chambers. I don't remember where he is, but he has this nice book. If you're interested in psychology, read his book. It's like the seven deadly sins of psychology. It's really interesting. <laughs> okay. um, and so he has promoted the use of what's called a registered report. And I think there's about like 200 journals that are accepting it right now. It's been a slow go, um, mm -hmm. but it is, there's a two, two step review process where before you collect any data, before you do anything, you basically write an introduction, you say exactly what methods you're going to use, and all of that goes out to a panel of reviewers. They review it and they approve your your like idea on principle alone, that it's just like your methods and everything you say you're going to do makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. So we're going to approve this, meaning like you basically have a paper accepted. You just have to go do the study, whether or not it's positive or null results. And then... Yeah it goes back for round two after you do the study and they just like check and make sure that you did everything the right way. And then it like goes out to publication. So that's one way that people have been trying to, to do that. The other is through pre-registration, um, which is just like you say, you're going to you talk about the things you're going to do. You put it up on uh, the web. It's timestamped. It has like all that information. And then you cite that in your paper and say like, here, I said I was going to do these things. And I did them, but there is, there's definitely pushback. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. And I, I feel like even studies that are laid out, I mean, hypothetically, that's what you're supposed to do when you write a grant. Yeah. And I mean, in agriculture, I don't know if it's in other fields too, but there's some points when we try to write, you know, sections as vague as possible. Cause we're like, well, we yep. don't know exactly how we're going to do this yet. We just know that this is the information we're going to glean from yes. this process. And so that seems like it would require a lot more forethought, I think, than people mm -hmm. have historically put into their projects. Yeah. And that, I think that's one of the arguments of like, you're going to be doing a lot of work up front, but mm -hmm. then all of those thoughts that, that you're going through of like, if you write it vague in the beginning, you're going to have to address it later on. It's just where yeah. are you situating that time? And so by putting it all up front, you're more thoughtful about like, I'm going to use this measure and I'm going to use these types of p components. And then that is going to lead to this. So you're very specific. You're very like it, it requires that forethought, which like we require in dissertations, right? Like we're both in that process right now. We had to be very specific yep. or as specific as we could about what we were going to do. And then we have to do it. Yes. <laughs> that's a fun thing to have to kind of reckon with in the end especially in mm -hmm. my field we often get projects handed to us so it's like well i don't know why you made these choices oh and, no well at least for one of my master's projects actually both of my master's projects the data for the first year was collected in june and i got here in july and so they had already done it and then at the end the two locations different people were collecting the data mm -hmm. and they did the treatments differently. And so they basically oh, handed no. it to me and were like, well, now you have to figure out a way to make this work. And I was like, 
Oh my huh. goodness. It's a real head scratcher. That is extremely unfortunate. And a lot of times, like in other work, people are just handed data sets and it's like, let's figure something out. So you could go the route, which people have made careers on this is just like looking at how things are correlated and then like, look, this is a thing. It's real when it might have just been like chance that it, yep. it might not have actually been the case that that is a real finding. And then grad students are like, hey, that famous person published this. That's interesting to me. I'm going to go study it. They spend three years and then come up zero. Oh, man. Yeah. So this is definitely an important field that we need to be, you know, cracking the shell on a little bit more. Yeah. Breaking into. Do you want to talk, mention anything else about that before we wrap things up? Um, I think through the UCAN grad school, we have some, uh, we did a whole like thing on, now my printer just wants to turn on. <laughs> the machines are uprising. They're coming for us. Um, oh no. Okay. Well, I'll wait a second until this prints out. I don't know why <laughs> my wife wanted to print something, but okay. Nope. Still going. Okay. Okay, I think the printer has stopped. It's tax season, so we have to get all of our W-2s and everything together. Oh, yes. That's always yes. fun. As we wrap up, is there any last thoughts you have about reproducibility and this concept of open science? I had mentioned Chris Chambers' book. I think that would be really a, a great start. There is a podcast called Everything Hurts. I really like that one. <laughs> it's Yeah, it's with two, uh, two guys. They are psychologists and they are from New Zealand or Australia, so that's just enjoyable to listen to, and they're two, two nice guys. Sense. Yeah. Um, on our website, youcangradschool.netlify.app, um, or you can just go to can underscore grad on Twitter. That's our handle, um, and find our website that way. We had a, a couple series where we did talk about open science and go into detail about Daryl Bem and Stoppel and some of the other big players in in uh like data fraud and see my dogs are very upset at data <laughs> fraud and non-transparent we all should be that yes. upset about it <laughs> um but yeah you can check that out and i think i feel free to reach out to me like if you couldn't tell from me rambling for minutes nonstop. Uh, I, I really enjoy talking about this and, and think it's an important area of the field to look at. So tweet at me, DM me, find my email. It's probably <laughs> somewhere. Yeah. Cool. Yes. So that's also a good segue into in general, if people want to learn more about what you're researching on, what you're doing, what are some avenues that they can do that? Usually I post all my stuff on Twitter. Uh, it is my first and last name, so Dustin Harridan. That's my handle. And then uh, my Google Scholar page is one way. You can find my website. I think it is, does it have a dash in it? Um, DustinHarridan.netlify.app. Again, that would be something that is on my Twitter profile. Um, but feel free to, to reach out to me too. I'm always happy to talk about these things. And I want science to be open. And I want these I love having these conversations. Awesome. And as someone who reached out on Twitter, I can attest that you <laughs> responded to me very quickly and that you have a very nice looking website that I am uh, hope to emulate one day when I get myself together enough to create a professional website. 
you can do it. <laughs> Dustin, thank you for joining me today. This has been a lot of fun to listen and learn and chat with you. Thank you. It, yeah, it's been great. If you want to follow Hooked on Science on social media, you can do that on Facebook and Instagram by searching at Hooked on Science Pod and on Twitter by searching at Hooked on Science. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.